I'd love for you to open to the book of Matthew today. Last week we talked about a kingdom, uh, about a picture that was kind of painted on my heart the more I spent time in prayer for this upcoming year. And, and, and the picture being, if you weren't here last week, uh, the picture being a, a picture of two walls. And inside the walls was this, like water, something like water. It was fluid. But it came to understand that within those walls was the kingdom of God. And the inner wall was a wall that believers had put up. These are the boundaries. These are the set points of the kingdom. And the outer wall was the wall that the world put up to keep the kingdom in. And that when the believers began to tear down the inner wall, the walls, the boundaries, the confinements of where they thought the kingdom belonged, when they tore down those walls, the kingdom itself rushed out and destroyed the wall, the outer wall that surrounded it and rushed into the world. And, and it's been sticking with me for a long time. And uh, it's been something I've been praying towards that we would see this in Lloydminster. We would see the kingdom um, expanded and, 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 and that we would, God would open our eyes to see um, the boundaries and the walls we've placed around where, where, where the kingdom belongs and where it fits. Because uh, um, as many times as we see the church described as a building... Uh, and I'm not talking about this kind of building, but I'm talking about the people. Uh, he, he calls us a holy temple. Uh, and he talks about we're being built on a, on a cornerstone. So there's a sense of structure there. Uh, but as many times as he says things like that, when Jesus describes the kingdom, it's never confined anywhere. It's constantly advancing. And we talked about last week about his conversation uh, when John's disciples had come. And, and he mentioned that since John started preaching, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. There's been something about it, and, and you know, like I said last week, I always read that. I always read it and just, for some reason, did, did autocorrect in my head that what Jesus meant was, since the beginning of time, the kingdom had been forcefully advancing. But he actually said it's, it's just since John started preaching, it's been rapidly and forcefully advancing. And forceful people are seizing it. Forceful people are seizing onto it. And so there's, there's something in me, and I believe there's something in you that desires the kingdom of God. But so often we've just said, well, e either... We, 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 we think we have a pretty good idea of what the kingdom come is going to look like. When, when Jesus comes and sets up the kingdom on earth, we got an idea of what that might look like. When, when he returns, rules with a rod of iron, we, we have an idea of that. We may have some disagreements about times or, or exactly what that looks like, but we all kind of think, well, he said the lion and the lamb would lay down together. He said there wouldn't be any war anymore, that we'd beat our weapons into plowshares. Okay, I got a picture. But it's sometimes difficult for us to picture what his kingdom is meant to look like in this period right now. This period where we're awaiting the return of Christ, but uh, we're also on the other side of the resurrection. So we're not Old Testament believers that are waiting on God to do something. We are New Testament believers who've been filled with the Spirit, empowered by Jesus, given his name, given a mission. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, in the ancient Roman Empire, 
it was, I mean, at the time, it, it covered so much of their known world, you know. It stretched so far that, uh, you know, they were constantly winning new territory. They were constantly expanding into new territory. And if you lived in one of these new places, you might not know that a battle was fought miles and miles away. You may not know that a battle was fought way over there that changed your government. You might be in one of the far-flung provinces over here, and, uh, and the emperor won a battle on some, you know, his ships beat some other ships or something, and all of a sudden, you have a different king. You don't even know it. Your life is going on. You, you still uh, do the same farming you did before. You live in the same house you lived in before. But one day, some people show up at your village. They've got some soldiers with them, and one of these guys looks like maybe he's not as much of a soldier as a, as a, as a dude that's just supposed to speak very loudly. And he gets up and he tells you that, uh, uh, I want everybody's attention. Now you are all, you are now under Roman rule. You have a new king. It's the emperor. He's way over there in Rome, but things are going to change, and there's new laws, and there's new government, and uh, you may not know it, but a battle was fought over here, and everything's different now. You're just supposed to look at them and go, okay, what's different? What's different now? There was this idea of Pax Romana, which meant, uh, literally in Latin, it just meant Roman peace. And, and the idea of Pax Romana, Romana was, was that everywhere their empire was, there was rule of law, there was peace, there was some sort of sense of order that if you were a Roman citizen and you were way up in Gallic territory, that if you could just say Civicus Romanus, if someone tried to mess with you on a Roman road and you say Civicus Romanus, I am a Roman citizen, that somebody would help you. There's a soldier that would stop what he's doing to help you. That there was this, this idea, it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't perfectly played out, but in theory... The idea was, wherever there was the Roman Empire, there was peace there because they had made peace with the sword. Now, you guys know that there's really no peace outside of Jesus Christ. And the Roman idea of peace was, you know, where are the troublemakers? Let's crucify them, right? Um, everywhere they went, the way they kept their expansion going was to make slaves everywhere they went and bring them back and send them back home. So it wasn't a perfect system by any means. But there's somewhat of an idea there, and that whether you're talking about the Romans or the Persians or the Macedonians, there's a sense of an empire that's expanding, and, and, and somebody has the job of going and enforcing the new law and the new government, and somebody has the job of announcing a new king. And throughout the New Testament, we get a picture that that's kind of our job. There's a, there's a king who has conquered, who has won victory, who has won us back from slavery. And we get to go from province to province. We get to go from town to town, from city to city, from village to village, announcing a new kingdom. Amen. So when Jesus, we read this last week, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, go and preach the kingdom. He said, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out evil spirits, Freely you've received, now freely you give. And he said, tell them that the kingdom of God has come to them, has come near to them, that they've been visited by a different kingdom. Can you imagine how that would change your city? We read it last week, but he said, whatever city receives you, heal everyone in it. 
Once again, my autocorrect in my brain used to always read that as, whatever house receives you, heal everybody in the house. But he actually talks about the house, then he talks about the city, and says, whatever city receives you, heal everybody in it. That's amazing. Imagine Judea in that day and age being totally, radically transformed by a group of hicks from Galilee going two by two, village by village, town by town, announcing the kingdom of God. You know, in the Bible, in the Gospels, it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel is just a word that we kind of used, but it literally means good news. The good news of the kingdom. You know, when a new king would show up in, in a certain countries and things like that, it wasn't always good news. You know that if you lived in Poland in the 30s, it was not good news when all of a sudden the Germans are in charge. Nobody said, oh, wonderful. I've been waiting for these guys. Maybe a couple of people, but we don't like them. We don't talk about them. <laughs> when there's an empire change, when there's a government change, not everybody's happy. But this is different. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom that came to oppress. It's a kingdom that came to liberate. It's not a kingdom that came to destroy. It's a kingdom that came to heal and make things whole again. Amen. So we're, we're talking about something here called the kingdom of God is like. And that's, that's what we're going to just do for the next few weeks, at least the, 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 the service that I'm going to be here for. We're going to talk about what, what is the kingdom of God like? Because it, I, I, I was... Doing my research, I went through the scripture to every mention of God's kingdom. And you know, there's, there's a couple of times where there seems like there's a definition, but Jesus never fully, he never gave you a dictionary definition of the kingdom. He never said, here's what the kingdom is, and, and gave you a Webster's definition. You know, because you really can't define it, for him to define it like that would be for him to make it a lot smaller and once again, a lot more confined. So Jesus doesn't say, this is exactly what the kingdom of God is. What does he do? Throughout his ministry, he drops little tidbits and says things like, the kingdom of God is like this. Then he tells you a story. He says, the kingdom of God is like this, and he paints you a picture. Why? Because there is, if you just tried to sit up here and give me a two-sentence dictionary definition of the kingdom you would fail at it you'd miss something because the kingdom of God is so big and so wonderful and so powerful that you can't just simply define it like though the kingdom of God is this 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 you know Paul says something uh, in the book of Romans he says the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit now when he says that he's not saying this is the exhaustive definition of the kingdom but he's saying, these are the elements it's made up of. The, at its root, here's what, it, here's what it contains. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking about those three words. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know, if you really think about those three words, are those the three words that pop up in your heart and mind when you think of the kingdom? I hope so, but there's a lot of people, that's not what they think of. There are some people who don't even believe that joy, well, I shouldn't say that, but joy is just one of those things we really don't talk about. Maybe we'll get it eventually. But righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, these are, the, these are elements, these are foundation stones, these are also the fruit of the kingdom of God. 
And I want to I read something that Jesus said. So for the next, like I said, for the next little bit, we're going to talk about, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the times where Jesus describes the kingdom. And we're going to talk about different elements of the kingdom because he'll say the kingdom is like this and the kingdom is like that. And I want to get that picture in my heart. I want him to paint that picture in my mind. And my intention today was to kind of pick up from where we left off last week and talk about when Jesus said the kingdom of God is like leaven. You know, a little bit works in the dough and it spreads. And I wanted to talk about the spreading of the kingdom and the contagious nature of the kingdom. But I began to pray about it and realize that before we start talking about spreading the kingdom and even preaching the kingdom, you need to fall in love with the kingdom. You need to embrace the joy of the kingdom. You need to treasure the kingdom. Because when you believe in something, like you really believe it, it has your heart, it has you excited, no one really has to tell you to spread it. The stuff you're excited about, people know you're excited about it. You have a hard time keeping it in. Some of you are holding secrets right now that you're so excited, but you made your wife, your wife made you promise, or you made your wife promise that we weren't going to tell anyone until whatever date or whatever, you know, uh, maybe it's a baby on the way, maybe it's a trip you're planning, maybe it's somebody that's getting married, but they're going to announce it on Instagram first or whatever it is. When you're excited, it's hard not to tell people. You ever have those things that you're super excited about and you know none of your friends are? And so you try not to let it leak out at weird times because you know they're tired of you talking about it. I've got things like that. You know, or you just like, oh, oh, I really like this. I want to talk about it. But I get a feeling that my friends just kind of put up with me when I talk about this. And, And they smile and they nod like, yeah, bless your heart. But they're not really excited about it. So the truth is, when you are in love, and and you are excited, and you are full of joy at something, you don't have to have a preacher get up and convince you that it's the right thing to do. You can't help but talk about it. So probably the first thing we got to do is fall in love again and realize the beauty and the joy and the treasure of the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about the fact that, that throughout the New Testament, Satan is referred to As much as we may not like it, he's referred to with titles like the God of this world, the ruler of this world, the prince and the power of the air. These are words that are used to describe the fact that he's been ruling, not rightfully, but he's been ruling illegally on this planet because we gave him control. So I guess there is some sort of legality to it. But the scripture never calls darkness the kingdom of darkness. He calls it the kingdom of light. But he never says the kingdom of darkness. He calls it the domain of darkness. Domain is a word that means control. Uh, someone who is dominating. Satan is not a king. He's a warlord. Here's how he rules. This is, this is one of the things that, that, that I have to realize as, as I give my life to the kingdom of God. I, one of the things you have to realize when you come to Jesus is Jesus is not going to rule like the devil tried to control you. So Satan is a warlord. He's going to use fear and he's going to use uh, 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 things. He's going to try to control you the way that a bad ruler would. But when Jesus comes along, he wants to lead you with his voice. He wants, to, he wants you to, to willingly follow him. He invites you to his table. He doesn't dominate you the way Satan did. He's, he's more of a king and he has more power than Satan ever want, wished he could have. But he, he doesn't rule you the same way. 
And one of the things when we come to Jesus is we have to learn how to be led like that. See, when we were slaves, someone forced us to do things and made us afraid that if we didn't, this is what would happen. When we come to Jesus, he invites us. He says, follow me. And you know, when people, when he said, follow me to people in the gospels, there were people who said no. And he didn't say, boys, knock them out. (laughs) You'll follow me whether you like it or not. No, he left them there. He didn't treat them as slaves. He said to his disciples, I no longer treat you as slaves. I'm going to treat you as friends. That's a big deal. He's still king of kings and lord of lords. There's nothing that could take his majesty away. Yet I have to learn how to be led by a king who's not threatening me. I have to learn that that's the new paradigm. That's my new reality. So he doesn't lead by fear. He doesn't lead by threats. He doesn't lead by, you know, violence. Even though he could, he doesn't. He's good. So he says, I want to lead you with my voice. I want to lead you with my eye. I want to lead you with my hand. I want to lead you by relationship with you. There will be a day when there is some force. The Bible says he'll rule with a rod of iron. It says every knee will bow. There will be kings who do not want to bow and they'll bow at that moment. But right now he's inviting you to the kingdom. Some of us still have that slave heart because slavery breeds rebellion. The scripture talks about the law bred rebellion in us. Right? Because there was something in us. We couldn't fulfill the law. We, were, we rebelled against it. We, we tried to shake it off. And so there was a rebellion in our hearts. Said, you can't control me. And the king comes and he says, give me control. Surrender to me. And I had to relearn how to do that. See, so many, so many people in the world, they'll only do something if they feel the threat. They're going to lose something if they don't. But we have a king who says, Come. I'll show you things you've never dreamed of. Come follow me. Now, it's not always lollipops and roses. There's times where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's with you. So you fear no evil. He says this in Matthew chapter 13. He says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all he has and buys that field. Now, we can argue about how ethical that was. That the man found it and, like, looked around and hid it again. (laughs) He's doing, I don't know what he's doing on someone else's property. But he's on someone else's property digging around. He finds a treasure and he's like, oh, shoot. I can't let the owner find this. He buries it again. So maybe don't read into that part too much. <laughs> but he, he, he hides it again and he goes. You see, he, he doesn't automatically own it. He's got to go and make a decision. Is this worth more than everything I have? Now it seems to me that it is worth so much more that it's not a hard decision. Because the Bible says, listen to this, and, and I'm, I've missed this so many times I've read this. I've got to tell you, I've missed it. I, I've, I've read this, that a man found it, he hid it, and he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys it field. That's how I've always read it. I don't know why, for how many years of my life, I've missed the part that says, from joy over it, 
he goes and he sells everything. I miss that joy. I, I don't even know why I glazed over it. But he is joyously getting rid of everything. It's not like, oh, we all have our cross to bear. But in the sweet by and by, maybe it'll be better. No, he, he, there's joy in it. Of course, the, what I have, can you imagine? It's like somebody saying, hey, you know those little cheap little plastic pearls that your little kids play with? Bring them in. We'll swap them out for real pearls. And you go, hard to let those go, though. <laughs> a lot of memories with those plastic pearls. Can we make a deal where you only take like two or three and then I take everything you have? Like, no, you would, you would gladly, you would speed home praying that no police officer, don't do that. That's not right. <laughs> But you would, you would get home as fast as you legally could and jump out that car and get your stuff. Why? Because it has so much value. Now the problem is, the problem is, so why isn't this happening en masse? Because people don't see the value in the kingdom of God. Jesus told us exactly what this looked like. He said, I don't, he, said, he told his disciples, he said, don't throw your pearls before swine. And don't throw what is holy to dogs. Don't give what is holy to dogs. And he explains it and he says, if you give your pearls to pigs, pigs are going to chop on it and go, this tastes terrible. And they'll turn and be angry and tear you up. What's his point? The pigs are looking for something that immediately satisfies their base craving. A pig is looking for it. Does it taste good? Does it fill my belly? The world is looking for something similar. What immediately satisfies this craving I have? They don't know that the craving they have is based on much deeper craving. They don't know that the pearl could buy all the corn that they need. But they don't value it because ugh, I value something that, that feeds my flesh. I value what entertains me. I value what gives me for a minute, makes my belly happy. That's what I value. Where he says, but if you gave a pearl to a discerning individual, you'd give it to them and they'd realize the great value of it and they would treasure it. So Jesus actually says, don't give pearls to pigs. Which is kind of contrary to the way we believe in modern Christianity. We just think we give the same thing to everybody. Right? All our messages go up. Uh, we we want to preach a message that everybody can hear equally. And whether they just came on off the street or they've been saved for 50 years, everybody gets the same thing. But Jesus actually had different conversations with different people. He didn't preach the same message to everybody. There were things he said to the crowds. There were things he said to the large group of disciples. There were things he said to the 12. There were things he said to three guys. There were conversations. He had levels, guys. And you might think his levels were based on who he liked more. But he tells us the levels are based on who had that hunger to go and ask him questions. Who was willing to follow him. Who was willing to leave their boats behind and say, I want more. They had the choice whether they were going to go further. kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's the best treasure you'll ever find. Think about it again. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Just think about those elements. Now, like I said, that's not an exhaustive definition. But if the domain of darkness is darkness controlling you, even if you don't know you're being controlled, then Jesus came and preached there's a kingdom that's beginning stretched before time. 
that has now invaded the planet. I've brought it with me, and I'm going to make it official. And when he died on that cross, he paid the price for, for us to be citizens of the kingdom. And when he rose again, he gave us that identity as citizens of the kingdom. And he said, here, have my spirit, which is the, the pledge of the kingdom, the badge of the kingdom, the, the uh, life of the kingdom. And the rhythms and the patterns that we've been participating in all our lives. Everybody's working for the weekend. Right? You thought I was going to say something so seriously? And then his voice went high. <laughs> you know, we just, we, we enter into the, the rhythm of the world. And it kills us slowly. Kills us and grinds us down. Grinds all the real joy out of us. So we just go for temporary happiness highs. Give me something that pumps me for a little bit, but we don't have any lasting joy. So we're going from entertainment to entertainment, from high to high, from substance to substance, from cheap relationship to cheap relationship. What we're doing is we're trying to find the thing that we only knew in him. And there's a part of us that still remembers it. Even if we never knew him, there's a part of us that's programmed to desire it. Peace that we've never known. Peace that only he could give because every other type of peace is a bubble that you enter so that the world around you can stay out just for a few minutes, right? Put cucumbers on my eyes, put spa music on, hot rocks on my belly. I don't know why that helps, but apparently it does. <laughs> give me a moment where I forget about life. The peace of God doesn't ask you to forget about life. It doesn't need you to disengage. It doesn't need you to enter a bubble where you pretend it's not happening, the peace of Christ fully engages and says, even in the chaos, there is a king. Even in the hate, there is a love that, 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 that transcends it. Even in this time of tension where kings and rulers are taking their stand against the Lord, he sits on his throne and he laughs and he says, this is not the end. So there's a peace that passes my understanding. There is righteousness. What is righteousness? We know that we've been given the gift of of righteousness, of right standing with God. But when he talks about the kingdom of God being built on righteousness, it begins with that gift of righteousness, but it, it's so much more. It's everything that's right. It's God's rightness. It's God's justice. It's all the broken things are right again. That, that, that idea of peace, once again, uh, I, I think we would be it would behoove us to go back and, and look at the real idea of peace in the Old Testament because that's the peace that the early apostles and Jesus would have been drawing from, that word shalom, which meant nothing is missing, nothing is broken. It was an idea of wholeness. It wasn't just, there's no war right now. It wasn't just, uh, my mind is clear right now. It's not just serenity now. That peace was wholeness, perfection. Broken things are made right again. Missing things are brought back again. There's a shalom that he offered us. And when we find out that that's what the kingdom is like, I think you can imagine being in one of those villages and these disciples come and you don't know who they are. And they just say, by the way, there's a man that's going to come to your village eventually. He's been preaching and he, he, he brought us in. And he said... That there's a new kingdom and he came to bring it and, 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 and he said that the spirit of the Lord has anointed him. 
And the Spirit of the Lord anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, to preach freedom from the oppression, to preach the favorable year of the Lord. And they go, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord anointed us to do the same thing. And they announce it. And people come out and go, well, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you. Who here is sick? And people come out and go, well, I am. All right, this is what Jesus taught us to do. And they heal people. And, and who here is oppressed? Oh, yeah, we've got this kid that he's, been just, he's just been oppressed all his life. There, there's something that just has a hold of him. Let's, let's set that kid free. The, that village would have been shocked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine them saying, and this kingdom doesn't have an end. Yeah. And Isaiah talked about it hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And it's a government of peace. And here's what he says. He says, kingdom of God, heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in the field. A man finds it, hides it again, and from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. I said this a couple years ago, but it, it really sticks with me that, that so many times we're telling Christians, count the cost. Count the cost. But they can't count the cost because they've never counted the value. Right? right? You, I mean, when you buy a car... And, and you get a decent price for it. It's, I mean, it's, it's your dream vehicle. You'll love it. You finally have enough to pay for it. You finally get in that dream car that you've always wanted. And you drive it around town. You don't stop at every parking lot and go, oh, I can't believe I lost this money. I had money. I gave it to the man and he gave me this hunk of metal. Oh, well, he took it from me. He just took it right out of my bank account and I miss it. No, you don't talk about that. Why? Because you love this thing you got. But that is a piece of metal mm-hmm. and other stuff. I guess mostly plastic now. <laughs> it's nothing. But the kingdom of heaven is everything. So why do we have people going around whining about what they gave up for Jesus? Did you lose that much? I'm not trying to make light of it. I mean, I know some people have given up everything. But what have you gained? So some people will never count the cost because they've never seen the value. They don't, they don't realize what this is. Uh, there's something that grabs me in Hebrews when it says that the, the Hebrew people that he writes to joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. What kind of morons joyfully accept somebody taking your property and the only reason they were allowed to take their property is because they said Jesus is Lord. Can you imagine if someone says, if you go to one of these churches, here's a list of churches. If any of you go to these churches, we get to take your house. There might, there might be some yellow vests on now, huh? <laughs> right? I, I was fine. They took my house. <laughs> took my house just because I went to church. Can you imagine joyfully accepting it and being like, you think you're taking something from me? You don't even know what I have. You don't know what I have. This house, I like it. I miss it. This, this property, now maybe it wasn't their house, but maybe it was the property they owned that they had kind of invested their future in and said, this is, where, this is our inheritance. And it got taken away. And instead of ranting and raving and being angry, they said, small price to pay. You don't realize you can't take away from us what we really have. You can't take our treasure from us. In fact, there's, there's a realization in that moment. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen to everybody here. 
I would hope not. But there's a realization when you lose something that you thought was going to be everything. And when you realize they took the biggest thing you had and you still didn't lose anything of value. You know what I mean? I think there's a realization in that moment. Whoa. I just realized how big the kingdom is. They just took my land and it didn't wreck my life. They really literally can't do a thing to me. There's stories of these men and women in the early church who went to their death. Marched straight to their death. Has a weird little smile on their face like, you know what? It's like he said it was going to be. I'm not afraid. There's this special realization that you only get in that moment of, there's really nothing that they can do to us. We have everything. That's why Paul said, he talked about that. He said, sometimes, because listen, the apostle Paul went places where he had to give up a lot to go there. There was stuff taken from him. There was, he was put in prison. He's beaten. So he went through a lot to preach the gospel. And at one point he goes, we're like those who have nothing yet possess everything. Wow. How much is this worth? Now listen, I want you to, to be clear about this. You can't purchase this. It's not a price on the, on the treasure. The treasure, the kingdom is a gift to you, right? Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to what? Give, Give you the kingdom. So he's not saying there's a price tag. And, because if that were the case, then some of us would be able to afford it and some of us wouldn't. It's a gift. The kingdom is given to you. But it's worth more than anything you have. And when it comes down to choosing between this and that, you will always choose the kingdom. Really, we lose our life so we can find our life. When you came to Jesus, you gave everything up so that you could gain everything. Some people literally had to give everything up. Some people had said, you know what, Lord, if you ask it of me, I'll give you anything. But it's worth everything. He says this in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went out and he sold all that he had and he bought it. I think you could read this two ways. You can read that just like you did the first parable about the kingdom being worth so much. One pearl is worth so much. It's worth more than everything I have. So I'll gladly sell everything I have to get that. And the other thought is, he says the kingdom is like the merchant. He doesn't just, he doesn't say here that the kingdom is like the pearl. He says the kingdom is like the merchant. So in a sense, Jesus gave everything he had to buy us. If you really want to know what's been on my heart, I want to see, I want to come to that place where I value the kingdom more than I value anything else that I've ever been presented with or even could be, could dream of. I want to fall in love with this kingdom that Jesus is preaching. And I am in love with it, but I want more. Because until I get to that place where it is, you got to pin me down to keep me from preaching and telling people about Jesus, then I still want more. I realize as we're reading this that, that, over and over again, he says, this is the gospel of the kingdom. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. In the book of Acts, maybe you didn't do research sometime. Go, go through the book of Acts and see how many times Paul says things like that. Or I mean, Luke says that about Paul. 
how they went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's one of the last things he says about Paul. For the rest of his life, he spent it preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. We kind of have our, our, um, our Roman road. You know, we're all sinners who need a savior. Uh, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Here's your way out. We have our version of the gospel message that's just very simple. He'll save you from hell. You want that, don't you? Here you go. And, and that's a part of the gospel, and, and that's, I'm not making light of that. But, but how often are we preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is so valuable? Which is what Jesus preached and Paul preached and Peter preached. I mean, it wasn't just a, you know, a simple message of you're going to die someday. You need to get insurance. It was a whole new way of life. And it wasn't preached as, it wasn't preached as this is an option that might help you. It was preached as good news. Let me announce something to you. It wasn't taught as a class. It was announced as good news. I just want to, I want us to stay on that. I mean, the preacher in me wants to keep talking. And I'll, I want to show you all the other verses that go with this. But I really feel that what we need to do is let this sink in. And I want to ask you a couple of questions as we're coming to a close. I want to ask you, because if Jesus said, seek and keep seeking the kingdom of God and all his righteousness first, above everything else, keep seeking this. Do you know the kingdom? Do you recognize it when you see it? Do you know what you're looking for? And I know that sounds funny, but what does the kingdom look like to you? Maybe this is a question you really need to ask yourself and you need to pray about what, would the king, what does the kingdom look like? Because you guys keep talking about spreading the kingdom. I'm not sure what that is. Is that a government thing? Is that a bigger church thing? What would it look like? What does it look like? And the second thing I want to ask you is, and I, want to, or I just want to encourage you with is, I believe that the kingdom of God always looks like the king. And that the only way to really fall in love with the kingdom of God is to fall in love with Jesus. Because Jesus is the kingdom. He is the personification of the kingdom of God. If you want to know what it's like in the kingdom, you just got to look at Jesus. Because he is the king. And the last question I want to ask you today, the last one, is do you know, do you know how to be led by that kind of king? Because maybe all your life, the decisions you've made have come from a place of fear. Maybe all your life, the decisions you've made, the choices you've made, the paths you've taken have seemed like they were the only choices you had and you, you, you just went, went down these roads or maybe you felt in your own weakness you couldn't, do the, you couldn't do what you wanted to do but you did this, you chose this and you let this in. Do you know how to be led by the Spirit? Do you know how to listen to the voice of the shepherd? Because he's a good shepherd, but he leads us with his voice. And these are real things that I'm even asking myself is because the world doesn't know what it's like to be governed by a good king. But when we come to this good king, he teaches us. And he says this to his disciples. He said, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened down and I will give you rest for your souls. He says, learn from me. 
And I want you to hear that. We often talk about the come to me part, but the second part is learn from me, for I am meek and humble in spirit. See, Jesus taught us how to be led. He taught us how to find that peace. He taught, not find that peace, but have that peace. He taught us how to live in joy. He taught us how to live in righteousness. He taught us all these things by saying, I'm meek and I'm humble in spirit. And he says things like, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. He, he completely lived a completely spirit-led life where his decisions were made in submission to God. And that surrender to God, as Philippians 2 said, the emptying of himself in the, in the form of a bondservant that he took in saying, I am, uh, I am yours, not my will, but yours be done. He showed us the path to joy. He showed us the way of peace. He showed us the life of righteousness. I want to tell you, Jesus doesn't have a textbook or a class that will teach you the kingdom better than you'll learn just by being near him. Being near him and learning from him. So what are the ways we do that? Dive into the gospels again. Read it, see it. Then close your Bible and spend some time listening and spend some time worshiping Spend some time with other believers who are walking with the Lord because there is that truth in follow me as I follow Christ. Sometimes you're having a hard time discerning what is Christ and what isn't and there's something about a believer who knows and says, come with me. I, I know where the rabbi's going. Come with me. I know the way. And that won't be your whole life, but maybe it is a, a portion of your time where you just learn and you maybe you're just like Jesus. You're meek, you're humble in spirit, and you're okay with learning some stuff you don't know yet. Some of my favorite prayers in the world all say the same thing. There was a point in their life where they saw someone that prayed with power and authority and humility and truth. And they go, can I just pray with you for a while? Can, can I just pray with you for a while? And you know what they would do? Just sit and listen. Can I just be in the room while you're praying? Because there's something that happens when we're willing to learn from those who've gone before, from those who maybe gone down the path we want to go down. I just want to encourage you today. There is a kingdom that's worth more. And I want us to be a church. I want us to be a people that are in love with the king and in love with his kingdom. That we want righteousness. Not because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't have it. No, we want righteousness because we've seen, because we love God, we love his way. Amen. And we love his justice. I want to be the people that say, I, 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 I not only believe, but I can't live without his shalom, his peace. I want to be the kind of people that say, Christianity is not boring. Christianity is not dull. If you want to know what the kingdom is like, one third of the kingdom is joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so maybe for some of us, it's less, maybe some of you have got it down. You're really good at the quiet time and you got to get good at the just crazy joy time. And like just dance in your house or something. And I know there's different types of joy. I know there's a quiet joy and a strong. I know that. 
But why don't we just let God surprise us with his joy and embrace joy as a key of the kingdom? Stand with me. We're going to pray.